Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. 1 Samuel chapter 4, we're going to read just the first uh, four or so verses here, and then we'll go down through some other verses as we make our way through this kind of verse by verse today. But in 1 Samuel chapter 4, this is... Uh, directly after the account where God calls Samuel as a young man, as a child, the first time God ever speaks to Samuel in chapter 3, as we, as we discussed in the, uh, in the lesson on the prayer of Samuel, we read through that passage, and the message that God gave Samuel in chapter 3 was about the, the priest, the high priest of that day, a man named Eli, and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, And he gave Eli some bad news. Amen. And that bad news was that God was going to punish them for their sin. And in chapter 4, we're going to see that come to pass. But there are some other things that happen in chapter 4 that I want to point out to you and hopefully be a help. Verse number 1, let's read this together. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 4, verse 1, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines pitched in Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines, and they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. And when the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. Verse 4, And so the people sent to Shiloh, that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help me and help us as we look at this passage. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity again to come to your house. God, we're so thankful God, for the sweet spirit and the singing. God, so thankful, Lord, that you saved us, God. That you've given us not only an escape from hell, but God, a path to heaven and of joy and peace. And God, the fruit of the Spirit and all the good things you've given us. Lord, thank you, God, for dealing abundantly with us. God, for being such a good God who loves us and blesses us. And God, that you've given us your Son. Lord, I pray this morning if you would help us, God, to look at these words from your Bible, uh, from your Word, God, that we have here delivered to us, God, this morning. Help us, God, to look to your word, to receive it, to learn from it. God, help it, God, not to fall on deaf ears. Help us, God, not to have a hardened heart like Pharaoh or not to be lifted up in pride, Lord, like King Saul. Help us, God, Lord, to be humble this morning before your word. And help us, God, to learn what you want to speak to our church today. We love you, God. How desperately do we need you? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. 
The account from the beginning of the chapters of the book of Samuel right here, really a lot of what's happened uh, up to this point, we're really not, we haven't really gotten to a point of victory yet. We're coming out of the book of Judges where it was kind of an up and down roller coaster situation. And then we're given the book of Ruth, which is a glimpse of the hope that is to come. Amen. And it is how that God can take those dark and decrepit. Naomi said her name was Mara, bitterness. Uh, and that he brought her up out of that and gave her Ruth and, and gave her Boaz and gave her the sons that would eventually lead to the line of David. Amen. And that how much of a blessing that is. But as we come into 1 Samuel, things are still pretty dark in the land of Israel. Uh, in fact, they're really dark. But we know that in chapter 3 that God has called Samuel out and he has given him the word of the Lord. In fact, at the beginning of this chapter, it tells us that Samuel has already begun to deliver the word of God to the children of Israel. Amen. They are on the cusp of something great. Amen. On the cusp of God bringing His word again to every man and every woman across the land of the children of Israel by calling out a prophet. Amen. But as we come in this chapter and we begin to read in Samuel chapter 4, what we have here really is a tale of warning. It is an account of a warning. And we're going to go down through and read it all, but... This account shows us, really, what happens when God's people become more reliant on their own understanding and even their own viewpoint and ideas about religion than they are about the God that their faith is based on in the first place. The children of Israel were a very prideful people. They, they are. They're a prideful people. I mean, you know, it, that's got to be one of the greatest temptations there is when you find out that you're the people that God chose. Amen? It's like a favorite son, you know what I mean? And that God chose out the children of Israel. And it, you know, you, you got to kind of battle that, that pride. And they had that in them. And, and we can see it on display here. By way of introduction, I, I want to give you a number of things by way of introduction and then just a couple real simple thoughts at the end that I want to drive home to you if the Lord will help me. First, I want you to see uh, Israel's issues in the first few verses here. Verse number two, we can see as as the Bible begins to explain the issue that they're facing right here and right now at this time. And, and, and when we talked about Samuel a few weeks back on Wednesday night, I told you, that, or I'm sorry, about Samson. I told you then that maybe if Samson had been a praying man who actually loved the Lord and served the Lord, he could have rid the world of Philistines. Think about how things would be in 1 Samuel chapter 4 if Samson had been a godly, God-fearing, spiritually discerning man. But here we are in the Philistines once again, as they are going to continually do, they are a thorn in the side of Israel. They put themselves in array against Israel, and when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines, and they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. 4,000 is a big number. Some of you may have never been in one place where there were 4,000 people in one building or in one area. I mean, that's just... You know, it's hard to really picture exactly what 4,000 men looks like. But I can tell you this, it's a big group. Amen. Some of you have been, I'm sure, to events or to things like the State Fair and places where there are thousands of people and, and maybe where you could look over a crowd and see it with your own eyes. And, and that's how many died. Not how many were there. How many died that day from the host of Israel. That's a lot of bodies. That's a lot of graves to be buried. A lot of wives and children to be come and told that your husband is gone. A lot of people, 4,000. It's a big number. 
That's a big loss. You understand that? It's not some, oh, well, we lost a little skirmish and a few people died, but hey, that's war. No, 4,000. 4,000 people died in one battle. Then that's their issue. We're facing it. I want you to see first, they lack strength. They go out to battle, and guess what? You know what this verse says? You know what it don't say? It don't say how many Philistines died. You know why? Because Israel lost. Israel got whooped. We can say it that way. They went out to battle and they thought, we're God's people. We got this. We can take these, these Philistine dogs. It's no worry, no problem. The Philistines put their armor on. They got ready and they went out and they put, they put a beating on Israel. And Israel comes back home. They've got no strength. They've got no victory. And we can see here that just, just because they're God's people doesn't mean they're automatically going to win every battle. Amen. Can I say it's true for you too? Just because you're saved don't mean you're automatically going to win every battle. That There are some things that matter. Israel's issues, we see they lack strength. We see they lack sense. Look at verse number 3. And when the people came, uh, and when people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel, now the elders of Israel should be the smart ones, right? They're the leaders. They're the ones who are supposed to be leading the people and making the right decisions. And here's what they had to say. Wherefore hath God smitten us today before the Philistines? Why did God let us lose? They're putting the blame on God, first of all. Not smart. But maybe there's a little bit of understanding because they even said that God's the one that smote them. Look at it. Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us before the Philistines? So they think, well, we lost. Based on what we know from Israel history, God is probably not happy. But why isn't God happy? First of all, they should have known why God's not happy. And I'm going to show you that. But they're not real smart. They're looking around and they're confused. And they don't know what to do. Why is this happening? Why are we losing? Why have we lost? Why why has God done this to us? Why has God smitten us? And, And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but what's surprising here is that every one of these elders, not one of them had enough sense to say, well, maybe it's because of this. Or maybe it's because of that. When they all knew there were some real issues going on in the camp. We see they lack sense. They lack spirituality in the camp. Look at verse number 4. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from thence the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord of hosts, which dwelt between the cherubims, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. I didn't read the second half of verse 3 up there. It says, let us fetch the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hands of our enemies. You know what does not happen in verse 3 or 4? There is no praying. Y'all see any prayer? Is there any sacrifice? These are the basic things they know to do. We need to get a hold of God. You know what we need? Prayer and a sweet smell and savor. Every prophet, every man of God in the Old Testament, they get to hold God. You know what we need to do? Go get some bullocks. Go get some lambs. And let's do us a sacrifice and a sweet-smelling savor to God that He might hear our prayer. When things got serious, and can I tell you, 4,000 men lying on the ground dead, it's pretty serious. This isn't just a run-of-the-mill day. It's a serious moment, and they need help. But some of the elders say, you know what? Let's go get the ark. And as long as we've got that in here, it'll save us and we'll be fine. They've got no spiritual discernment. They're doing things, listen, to the the untrained eye, to someone who doesn't really know the Lord, might think, well, that makes sense. Let's go get the ark. 
Well, the ark is a big deal, right? I mean, it is. The ark is a big deal. Don't let me belittle it. It is a big deal. It is the place where they would apply the sacrifice to the mercy seat. And that they weren't allowed to touch it or they would die. I mean, it's a big deal. But they're not doing any of the things that are supposed to be done that involve God. All they're doing is going and getting a thing. It'd be like them saying, you know what we need in the camp? Bibles. Let's go get a bunch of Bibles. And we'll give every soldier a Bible and they'll be good. But they don't read it. That's what it'd be the equivalent of. They've got something that is holy, something that is powerful, but they are in no way wielding the power that it gives. Amen. They lack strength. They lack sense. They lack spirituality. That's their issues. Then I'm going to show you their invaders. Number two, under this introduction, the Philistines are at their doorstep. Verse number five, here's what it says. <clears throat> Therefore, neither... I'm sorry, wrong verse. Wrong... Uh, I've changed. I've changed. I'm in chapter five. Here we are. Verse five. When the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was come into the camp. First, we see the show. Now, I'm using that word show because it's obvious that these people are not spiritually discerning. They've not spoken to God once. And by the way, God's not spoken to them either. Amen. There's no praying, there's no sacrificing, but you know what there is? Shouting. Now can I tell you, I'm all for shouting. Praising the Lord, and lifting up God. But that's not what this was for. This was for a show. They're trying to hype them up. It's a pep rally. We're going to go, we're going to go, we're going to go. You know how I know? Because I know how it's going to turn out. There's no God in any of it. God is not in any of it. Is God in the Ark of the Covenant? Is it a holy thing? Sure, it's a holy thing. But there's no God moving. There's no God speaking. And they're not speaking to God. But the Philistines over there who don't know any difference, who are just unlearned Philistines, they hear the shouting and they're like, what is going on over there? And I mean, they were doing some serious yelling. Because it said the earth rang with it. And they said, oh, what's going on with all those Hebrews? What's happening with all that noise? And then they understood that the Ark of the Covenant was come into the camp. In verse 7, we see the scare. The Philistines were afraid. For they said, God is coming to the camp. And they said, woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. They were scared. They were afraid. And guess what? They should have been afraid. They should have been afraid of God. And they should have been afraid of Israel. They should have. That was the proper response from them. To be afraid because, you know why? Because of the stories. In verse 8, Woe unto us! Who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Now first of all, they're obviously unlearned because there's not gods, there's only one. The one true God. But we see the show that Israel's putting on and the scare in the Philistines and then the stories. They'd heard the stories of Egypt. Amen. They knew who the God of Israel was. They'd heard all the stories and they said, man, we ain't ever seen anything like this. They've got the ark of God. What is about to happen? Amen. The stories have passed down, the rumors. Maybe even there was an elder here or there who, who maybe was a child over there when, when, this, when this one was destroyed by this mighty thing that God did. Maybe some of them had heard the stories of when the sun stood still and Joshua and all, all they defeated all the enemies of God and, and all these things. But the stories and, the, and the, 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 the legends, if you will, of what God had done 
with the ark struck fear into the hearts of these Philistines. But then I want you to see they're settling in verse 9. Look what it says. Be strong. Quit yourselves like men, O you Philistines, that you be not servants unto the Hebrews as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. I'll tell you one thing for the Philistines. They're not weak. They're scared for good reason, but they're not weak. And can I tell you, the enemies of God, sometimes they're strong. They're strong. You can't win every battle that comes your way just because of who you are. And you can't win every battle that comes your way just because of who God is. Just because you're a Christian, and just because your God never loses, don't mean that you can't. Are you listening to me? We see Israel's, Israel's issues, then we see their invaders, and then I want you to see Israel's injury. Look at verse 10. The children of Israel fully expected that the moment the Ark of the Covenant came into the camp, the battle would turn their way. They were expecting a rod of God type situation. From what? From the fact that that Ark was in their proximity. That's it. What did those elders say? We'll go get the ark. It will save us. That's what they said. It will save us. Look at it in verse 3. Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us. It. Not he. Y'all see the difference in it and he? I am he, not it. You are he or she, not it. They were not talking about a person. They were talking about an artifact. They were so completely rested on their belief that this artifact would save them that they never paused to think about who was absent in the whole situation. First, their injury. We see they were smitten. Verse 10, And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten, and they fled every man into his tent. They come out, they're all hollering and shouting and amped up and pumped up and ready to go. And the Philistines start smiting them left and right. And pretty soon they figure out, uh-oh, something's not right. What do they do? They turn and they run into their tents. And guess what? Those tents don't offer them any defense. The Philistines smote Israel with a strong, wounding blow, and they all turned and fled. All their hubris, their shouting, and their hollering, and their yelling, and their pride turned to fear in an instant. I mean, in one moment, and they looked from side to side, seeing their brethren falling by the sword of the Philistines, and here's what it said, all of them fled. What does it say? Every man. They fled every man into his tent. You know what that says? Not one Stuck around. Not one brave man. Every man fled. They were smitten. Secondly, they were slaughtered. And there was a very great slaughter for their fellow Israel, 30,000 footmen. Now, 4,000 is a lot. I have seen 4,000 people in one place. I've never seen 30,000. Is there anybody here this morning who you've been in a crowd 
in one place of 30,000 people that you can think of? 30,000? That's a lot of people. I've been to an NFL game. Maybe there were 30,000 people. I don't know how many people it held. But I can tell you what, those are the dead bodies. If there was one Philistine for every dead Israelite, that's 60,000 men in one place. And 30,000 of them are now dead. I believe they're chasing them into their tents, cutting them down. That's a slaughter. They're not being smitten with 4,000. They're being slaughtered. You understand? There's no mincing words about what this is. It is an utter defeat of the army of Israel. The ark of God was stolen. Look at verse 11. And the ark of God was taken. The one thing, the it, they had all put their trust in, not only did it not save them, but now it had been taken by this wicked enemy. It was gone. It did nothing to save them. And then the wicked priests were slain. God fulfilled his promise to Samuel and to Eli. He poured out his wrath on these two wicked priests. You know what he told Eli in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 34? His prophet said, This shall be a sign unto thee that shall, that shall come upon thy two sons, on Hophni and Phinehas, in one day they shall die, both of them. Look at the end of verse 11. The two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. But why? Why did this happen? This is not a happy story. The two priests, the sons of Eli, and you go on, we won't today, but you go on and read the rest of chapter 4. Eli's going to fall off and break his neck, die when he hears about the death of his sons and the taking of the ark. It's going to kill him. His sons are dead. He's going to die. And 34,000 men have died. Are y'all listening? 34,000 men have died slaughtered by the enemies of God. Why? Wasn't the ark of God supposed to be an artifact of great power? Yes or no? Yes, it was. It was an artifact of great power. God, it was a holy thing that God created that they were to use for sacrifice. That's what it was. Why did that powerful thing, that sacred artifact, that sacred totem, why did it fail them? The reason it failed them is because it was an it, not a he. It did not have a will. It did not have power. God has all power. The only power in the ark is the power of God being channeled through the ark. But God is not present in this battle. In fact, if God is present, it's only in one part, and that's the part where Hophni and Phinehas die. Because God said, let it be a sign that in one day, both of them are going to die. And in that moment of their death, the word of God was fulfilled. But you know what God did not tell Eli? I'm going to slay 34,000 Israelites. Did he? No, he said, they're going to die and you're going to die and it's all over. And your, your lineage as a priest is going to end right here with you. That's what he said. But he did not say the Philistines are going to slay 34,000 Israelites. God did not have to kill 34,000 men to kill Hophni and Phinehas. He killed Eli by shocking him and him falling off a chair. 
You think he needed an army of Philistines to kill two men? No. These people did not have to die. I believe that. They did not have to die, but they didn't do anything right. They did nothing right. I want to show that to you. This is the message. What's the problem? Why did God not do this? Why did the ark not save them? Because they wanted God's help without God. Are you listening to me this morning? They wanted God's help, but they didn't want God. First, I want you to see their answer for their danger. We've been all around it. We've talked about it. It. Fetch it. Fetch the covenant, the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. It's like people who believe that doing good things will save them in the end. Or showing up to church on Sunday morning will give them enough credit with God that when they die, they'll make it into heaven. It's a ritualism. It's an idea about religion, but it lacks God entirely. Amen. It puts the power of your, uh, your destination, your eternity, the power of your success or your victory in your hands and not in God's hands. Amen. They thought that all they had to do was them go get the ark and bring it here and they'd win. But that took God out of the equation entirely. They didn't say we need God to show up on our behalf. Like had been said so many times before, they said we need it. Their answer for the danger was this religion and this ritualism rather than a real God. Are you listening? Religion will not give you victory. Amen. Uh, being, being faithful to, to read in your Bible and to pray and, and to do these things because it's what you're supposed to do. That won't give you a victorious life. That won't give you what you need in your life by checking the box and checking the box and checking the box. What is going to bring victory in your life is God in your life. You need God. You don't need something like God. You don't need to look and smell and sound like God. You need God in your life. A real God. Not, well, I'm a member of such and such church. That doesn't mean anything. Should you be a member of your church? Absolutely. That we are fitly framed together. God's building. Amen. What a wonderful thing that is. But being a church member won't get you into heaven. Being a church member won't give you a victorious Christian life. Being a church member won't give you joy and peace. And when the enemies of the world rise against you and the devil rises against you, being a church member won't get the devil off your back. The only thing that will is God. A person. Not a thing. Not it. But He. He is God. He is the one God. The true God. And the children of Israel knew who God was. The beginning of the chapter. Samuel has already come to them and begun to give them the Word of God. They're hearing about God. But guess what? In their hour of need, they don't go looking for Him. They take their victory into their own hands. And their, their answer for danger was simply this. They were trusting in some powerful ritual, or I'm sorry, what they thought was powerful, but what was actually a powerless ritual to rescue them. And their answer, did it work? It did not work. Their answer was lacking. Not only do we see their answer for danger, we see their apathy toward their depravity. I want you to see this. Why wasn't God swooping down to warn them? 
to help them, to tell them. You know, when all that business went down with Korah, and Korah was ungodly, and Moses prayed before the Lord, the Lord said, I'm going to kill them all. And then Moses prayed for them, and God said, I'll tell you what, you tell them, if they want to live, they need to step back away from Korah and all his people. He didn't tell them that about Hophni and Phinehas. You know why? God did that for the children of Israel on the day of Korah because somebody asked. Somebody prayed. Somebody called out to God. And when it could have been a great loss and so many more could have died and God could have just, with that fire, instead he said, okay, tell them all back up. Some bad stuff's about to happen to Korah and all his people. And guess what? Some bad stuff happened to Hophni and Phinehas too and 34,000 men got caught in the crossfires. You know why? Because nobody called out to God. Because they were wicked, they were ungodly, they were more concerned with ritualism and their pride and looking like some prominent member of society than they were about having God. Amen. Their apathy toward their depravity, the depravity among the people. Judges chapter 21 and verse number 25 is the last verse of the book of Judges. It is historically, we're going from that time And we are rolling through now into this time in the book of Samuel. And some things have started to change. The Ark of the Covenant is back in Shiloh, but it has not swept across all the nation. And the last statement we had about all the children of Israel in this day is this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You want the proof? Read verse 3. Is that what God told them to do? Did God tell them, when y'all go to battle, take the Ark of the Covenant? Every time, make sure everything you do, the Ark's right there. Is that what you do, or did God tell them? Sacrifice. Pray. Walk holy. Oh yeah. Keep no other gods before me. And in all across Israel, there's people worshiping false gods. People, the end of the book of Judges, when's the last time they all read the book of Judges? The last four or five chapters of the book of Judges are hard to read. There are people being abused, people being murdered. One man offers his own daughter up as a burnt sacrifice because he's got no spiritual discernment. Another man allows his concubine to be abused and then because of it, cuts her up in 12 pieces and ships her to every every tribe of Israel. It's a bad time. People are godless. People are not following the Lord. They are depraved. It is a time of depravity. And you know what's going on right here? There's people in the camp and people in the army and they got sin in their lives. You know why they ain't calling out to God? They don't want to hear from Him. The first thing they should have done when 4,000 people died is said, oh, the Lord is angry. Let's get some sacrifices up in here. Call Eli. We got to do whatever we got to do. We're going to send up sacrifices. God, please, Lord, please rescue your children. No, they thought, we'll just grab the ark and we'll be good. Oh, the ark's here, and they're dancing and hollering and shouting, Woo! Man, we've got this! Meanwhile, God's looking down, and all He sees is their their sin, their rebellion, and He's thinking, I ain't helping y'all. Y'all have not looked to me, not one second. You know what Jesus said in the book of Matthew, chapter 23, talking to the Pharisees, said this, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, 
hypocrites. Amen. He just keeps calling them hypocrites. For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Those are some strong words from the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he said? It don't matter how much you look like a Christian, when inside you're full of hypocrisy, iniquity, you're dirty inside. Full of dead men's bones. Like a pretty grave. That's what he said. That's harsh. That's hard. Say, man, Jesus really hated them Pharisees, didn't he? No, no, no. He hated their hypocrisy. Any one of them Pharisees could have bowed a knee. Lord, you're right. I'm sorry. Like Nicodemus, who, because he was a little cowardly, came to the Lord by night. But in the end, he's on the Lord's side. He's a Pharisee. Like Paul. Oh, the chief of sinners. Oh, no, Paul's the greatest missionary to live. No, 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 he was a Christian killer, a murderer, a hypocrite, a self-righteous dog, which is why he spent all of his days saying, I'm the worst one here. Because he believed it. You know why? Because he remembered when he was full of dead men's bones. He remembered when he was full of hypocrisy and sin and iniquity. And all these people out here who were all shouting and hollering because the ark is behind them had know the sin they've been doing. They know they've been worshiping false gods. They know they're full of sin and wickedness and ungodliness. But they're not repenting. They're not praying. They're not calling out to God. We see the depravity among the people. We see the depravity among their priests. 1 Samuel 2, let me, you say, well, what's wrong? What's so bad about Hophni and Phinehas? A couple things. One, when they, would do the, uh, when they would do the sacrifices, they were using these weird hooks, and they were getting all the best parts for themselves and giving the lesser parts to God. And they were having people, when they came to offer sacrifices, bring them some raw meat so they could keep it for themselves. You know, that probably explains why Eli was so fat when he fell off that chair and broke his neck. They've been getting all the best meat. And you know what it said? It said, you've made the people despise the sacrifice, the burnt offering, because they're taking so much for themselves. And that's bad. But you know what's worse? 1 Samuel 2, verse 22. Now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto Israel, which includes all of that weird, that wrong sacrifice stuff, and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. They're seducing women at church. he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people to transgress. For if one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Listen to this. Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. Here's Eli getting fat off the wickedness that his sons are doing and his sons hoarding it up for themselves, and then using their power and position to seduce women outside the church. Are they spiritual? No. They look spiritual. They've got all the garb. They live at the temple or the tabernacle. They look. And for someone who didn't know, oh yeah, they played a part. I bet they could talk the part just fine. So much so that when they went and got the Ark of the Covenant, you know who they brought out? 
Hophni and Phinehas. God's priests. Supposed to be spiritual men. But even the men who were supposed to be God's men were so full of iniquity, God looked down and He was disgusted. They're supposed to be spiritual, supposed to be protecting them, giving them God's word, doing sacrifices. They should have been the first ones to say, we need to offer sacrifice and pray and ask God that he would forgive us and that he would give us this victory. They don't. They're probably out there shouting and hollering, oh yeah, looking the part like everybody else. They got the nice clothes on, they're white sepulchers full of dead men's bones. We see the depravity among the people and the priests. And thirdly, not only do we see the answer for their danger and, and their apathy toward their depravity, I want you to see their ab- the absence of their deity. Where was God? Well, He wasn't in the battle. And He was not on their side. They didn't even try to call on His name. They said, it will save us. It will save us. Go get it, and it will save us. They didn't even try to call on his name. 2 Timothy 3.5 speaks, having a, pa- a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. That ark in this instance was a form of godliness. It looked godly. Got the cherubims. The history of the ark. No power. There was no power coming out of that ark. There was no power going into the people of Israel. It was a powerless artifact because God was not present. They didn't even try to call on His name. They didn't even turn from their carnal ways. They were wicked, yes. And you might say, well, Brother Paul, aren't we all wicked? Don't we all make mistakes? And Don't we all sin? Absolutely. We all sin. And when we need God, you know what determines a lot of times just how quickly God's going to move on our behalf or if He's going to move on our behalf? Here's what the Bible says. Here's what the psalmist said in Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That tells me that if they had, even if they had called out to God, God, give us the victory, but they didn't repent for their sins, and they didn't repent for turning away from God, and, and they didn't repent for all... You know, I don't know, if Hophni and Phinehas had fell on their face before God and repented and begged God to forgive them, God just might have. You just never know. Just like David said when he's praying for that child, he said, while a child that lived, there was, there was a chance of mercy. He was praying. Who knows what might have happened. If, if, if Hophni and Phinehas had called off to God, maybe God would have spared them. If, if, if Eli had said, God, you're right, and he turned and reprimanded his sons and went all in and, and called them out before the people and they'd repented, who knows what might have happened. But guess what? Instead, they regarded iniquity in their heart. You know what that means? That means, that means they held on to it. They held it in high regard. That means you, it's something you care about. I hold my wife in high regard and my children and our church and our God in, in, in high regard. But if I hold sin in high regard, you know what that means? It means when God says, you need to get rid of your sin, you go, no. Then God won't hear you. God, will you please help me with this? And God's going, what about that sin you're holding on to with both hands? What about that wickedness? What about that unfaithfulness? What about that that anger and that bitterness and that envy? What about all that? Because if you want my help, then you're going to need me. And guess what? You can't have me and that sin. You're going to have to have one or the other. 
that if you want to walk with God and be at peace with God and have the blessings of God and have the fruit of the Spirit and growing in the Lord, you can't regard iniquity in your heart. They would not even try to call on His name and they would not turn from their carnal ways and it is no wonder that God let 34,000 of them die. The saddest part of it all is that God was available and God was able to deliver them. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. I'm going to turn over there. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. We have Solomon addressing the people as the glory of God has filled the temple that they have built. And here's what he says in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, and we're speaking about the children of Israel, right? Prince of God. Shall humble themselves. Step one. And pray. Step two. And seek my face, step three, and turn from their wicked ways. Four steps. Then what? Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That's exactly what they needed. They needed God to forgive them and heal their land of this sickness, this, this parasite of the Philistines. That thorn in their side constantly caught. They needed God to heal their land. God said, I will if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and repent, turn from their wicked ways. You see that? If y'all will just do this, I'll hear you. I'll come to you. I'll heal your land. They didn't do any of those things. All they did was get the posts and pack the ark. They didn't seek God. They sought the ark. They didn't pray. They got the ark. They didn't humble themselves. They shouted and hollered and rejoiced like they'd already won and never even included God in the conversation. And guess what? They certainly didn't turn from their wicked ways. The whole time, God's available, just an earshot away. All He needs to see is their humility and their prayer, their repentance. And if He can see that, well, He'll hear them. He said, I'll hear you. I'll hear you. I'll hear you. I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive you, and I'll heal your land. Psalm chapter 142. We'll be done. Psalm chapter 142. talking about people that want God's help but don't want God. These people wanted God's help and the power without God. They didn't want His holiness. They didn't want His law. They didn't want His lifestyle. They just wanted a little bit of power when they needed it and to go about their business and do what they wanted and nobody say anything to them about it. Are you listening? That's what Hophni and Phinehas thought. They thought, I can be a priest and I can get all the power and all the cloud of God but I don't have to do any of the stuff that God says I have to do. If I want to live this way, I can. It's my life, and I'm going to do what's right in my eyes, which is what all the people did, because they did what was right in their own eyes. 
Psalm chapter 142, we have a psalm of David. Here's what David said. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. He's praying. I poured out my complaint before Him and I showed before Him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then Thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. He's talking about His enemies who sought to destroy Him. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto Thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. He's humbled. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise Thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for Thou shalt deal bountifully with me. This is the prayer of a man who said this, God, I need Your help. God, I need You to rescue me. God, I need Your refuge. I cried unto Thee, O Lord. And he said this, Thou art my refuge. Who? Who's His refuge? Thou art my refuge. Verse number 5, Thou art my refuge. Who's His refuge? The Lord. Who's His refuge? Say it out loud. Who's His refuge? The Lord is. God is His refuge. Not victory in battle. Not a safe place. The Lord is my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. David did not want God's help without God. He wanted God. And you know what he said? God is my help. God is my portion. God is my refuge. He's my strength. He's my buckler. He's my high tower. That I need God and nothing else. That in the land of the living, the only thing I want, the only thing I need is God. What a difference between David, who saw God as everything he needed, and these people who saw everything they needed and not God. We want God's help. We want God's help in our church. We want want the power of God in our church, and and we want want the the church to grow in love and and to grow in unity, and we want to see more people come in, and we want to see different things going and different things happen. Guess what? We need God. We don't need programs and types and this and that. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with those things, and God can bless those things. But that's not what it's about. It's about Him. It's about God. Are you listening? We can have a million programs and no God. We can have the Ark of the Covenant and a shouting meeting and God with not within a hundred miles of it. We need God. We need repentance, humility, and love. And we need to seek His face. And if we as a people will turn to God humble ourselves and pray and seek His face and turn from our wicked ways, then He will hear us and bless our land. Isn't that what we need? I don't want a form of godliness. I want God. In my home, I don't want everybody to go, oh man, that, that Brother Paul and Miss Brooke, they've got such such a good little family, and they're, such, they're a good little Christian family, and, and that, that preacher over there, he, 
He loves the Lord. None of that matters. The way I look, if inside, I'm full of dead men's bones. I don't want to look like a Christian and look like a preacher. And I want God. I want Him in my life. I want Him in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. I want Him. Imagine if one man had been right there in that congregation and said, Stop! What about God? What about a sacrifice? What about prayer? What about the Lord? Does the Lord even want us to fight Him? Don't you all remember Gideon and the pots? Don't you all remember Jericho and the trumpets? What if God wants to do something like that? Why are we all marching out and dancing around this ark when, when nobody's even talked to God? We need God. We're only going to have Him when we want Him. Not what He can do for us, not victory in the battle, and not, not numbers in the church and growth in this and that and this. And, and those things are good to want, but we need God. Number one. Seek His face. Every one of us at home, at night, praying, and in our beds, we need the peace of God and the rest of God in the morning and in our jobs. We need God. Not a form of God. Not religion and not ritualism. We need God. We need Him. The realness of God. Let's all stand. I don't know where you're at with your walk with God, but I can tell you this. I need more. Let's all bow our heads. Nobody looking this way. Are you praying? Are you seeking His face? We read Wednesday night how David said, early will I seek thee. You seeking his face? You looking for him? Are you following him? Living for him? Or have you become like the children of Israel, just so accustomed to being his people who are called after his name that you just think it's all just going to come to you the way it always has? Well, God's, never, God's always kind of been there for me before. He'll be there for me now. He wasn't there for them. He would have been if they'd have just called out to Him. If they'd have just turned toward Him. And they'd have just turned from their sin. 34,000 men dead on the ground because they were more concerned about their look, more concerned about the types and the ritualism than they were about the realness of God. I don't want any of your homes or Calvary Road Baptist Church to be a story like this. Enemies are going to arise. They will. They'll rise against our church. They'll rise against you and your home. They're coming for your children and your grandchildren. And if you think they're not, you're blinding your eyes. They're coming for them. We need victory. The only way we're going to get it is if we have God, the realness of God. Church, why don't you pray with me this morning? Pray with me that we would be, as, as Solomon said, that we would humble ourselves.
we would humble ourselves and pray and seek His face and turn from our wicked ways. God in heaven, Lord, this morning, I thank You, Lord. God, I thank You, Lord, that You've exacted of me less than my iniquity deserves. God, I've been as wicked and, Lord, I've been as selfish as these men. I have turned my eyes away from you at times in the past. Lord, I have lived like a, hip, like a hypocrite. God, I've lived like those Pharisees. I've been self-righteous. I've been carnal. I've been wicked. God, you've shown me mercy. God, I pray this morning, Lord, God, I desire you in my life, Lord. I desire you in my home. I desire you in our church. God, not, not a form. God, not a formula. God, I, I need you. God, I need your power. God, I need your presence. I need, I need you. I need the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, God. I need your movement. I need your discernment. God, I need to walk with you, God. Lord, I don't want to just know who you are, but God, I want to know you. God, as Paul said, that I, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, Lord, and the fellowship of His sufferings, God. Lord, I want to be closer to You. God, I want Your presence in my life. And God, I don't ever want to be in a situation like these where I look around and see all my enemies and think, well, I just need to check this box or check that box. God, I always want to know that, God, I need to find my place, get down on my knees and call out to You, Lord, and turn towards You. And as David said, Lord, search me, O God. And see if there be any wicked way in me. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness, God. That's what I want to do, Lord. I want to humble myself. God, help me, Lord, to never, ever regard iniquity in my heart, Lord. Help me, God, to never hold my sin up and say, God, I'll not give this to you, Lord. Help me, God, to seek you. Help me to turn from sin. Help every man, woman, and young person this morning, God, who might have sin in their life, God, unrepented sin. God, going out the doors and just walking in the flesh and carnality and saying, oh, my foot will never slip. I shall not be moved. God, I pray, move them this morning. Show them, Lord, the folly, Lord, that regarding iniquity, how that it prevents us from the blessings of God. It prevents us, God, from growing, Lord, in the victories that God wants us to have. Lord, help us this morning to repent, to turn towards You. God, help our church that we might grow in loving You, God, and understanding more than we need anything, we need you. We love you. We praise you. We ask in Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon, and we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord. Thank you.